0: Our reading this evening is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, um, and that can be found on page 788 of the Pew Bibles. Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said... You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now,
1: we, we, we come to uh, the first of a new series uh, in most misused verses in the Bible. Now, when I saw this, I thought, thank you, Frank. <laughs> but uh, we, we're looking at Jeremiah 29, and we want the Lord to speak to us through that, so we pray. Lord, you are able... You're able to speak. You speak so often in so many varied ways. Speak tonight to us through your word and unstop our ears. Unlock our wills and enable us to hear and to respond, to obey for your glory's sake. Amen. Now, one of our members has just gone off to, for her uh, uh, annual uh, uh, holiday to Spain. And she said to me last week, she was very sorry that she wasn't going to be here uh, because at home she has this board on her wall and upon this board are the uh, small hands uh, prints of three of her grandchildren, and in the middle there are the words of Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. I know the plans I have of you. And she said to me, I see the title of this series. How is this how has this been misused? Have I been looking at it? What's wrong with what I've done? And I said, Nothing much, nothing much. Uh, so the, the first thing to do is to realize, I think, that this saying is in a letter. It's in a letter. You'll find it helpful to have Jeremiah 29 open. And verse 1 says, This is the text of the letter. This was a letter that Jeremiah gave, uh, that Jeremiah drafted at the inspiration of God, and its words uh, begin from verse 4. This is what the Lord God Almighty the God of Israel, says. This was the Lord's letter through Jeremiah. Now, when you're reading somebody else's letter, you need a bit more background information. You know, if the letter says, I hope uh, Harry is through his wee bit of trouble. Well, now you think, what was his wee bit of trouble? Uh, was he, did he speed a bit and he's waiting to see whether the cameras picked him up? Or did he have a good night out and came home and was sick all over the brand new sheepskin rug? Or what was his trouble? Or maybe the phrase is downplaying it, maybe it was bad news about health and that's not a wee bit of trouble, that's a major. We need to know something about the background, if we're going to understand fully the references in the letter. So, we look at this. This is a letter from the Lord. Verse 4, what the Lord says, and at the end of the letter, verse 23, I know it and am witness to it, declares the Lord. This is the Lord's word, to uh, his people, and it was uh, his people in Babylon, his people in Babylon. Verses 1 to 3, the text of the letter, Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, Babylon's a bit like the UK now. They had rules about immigration. And as we look at this letter, we see that they sought uh, the elite the educated and the highly skilled. And I saw on the news tonight, I think, the new uh, home secretary saying he was going to expand that for the workers that we need. There was one difference. Nowadays, it's people who are trying to get into the country that upon them, the government rightly produces its rules. In those days, it was slightly different because Nebuchadnezzar didn't open the borders to people to come in. He went out, conquered Jerusalem, and carted off the elite. But it was the elite and the smiths, uh, not uh, your family. It was people who worked in metal and other people, skilled artisans. Okay? Okay. And they were a people in exile, a people who were strangers in a foreign land. We see that in uh, verse uh, 1. Among the exiles and the other people, Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile. And then when you get to the the beginning of the letter, verse 4, it's what the Lord says to all, those I carried into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who carried the people of Israel from Jerusalem to uh, and from Judea into Babylon? Into exile and Babylon. Ah, Nebuchadnezzar. Right and wrong. At one level, yes, it was Nebuchadnezzar whose forces came in, conquered, and carted out. At another level, it is the Lord who refers to Nebuchadnezzar, you'll see it there in the text, as my servant. So, a theme that's running through this letter, and it's one we have to keep at the front of our minds, is Who is in control here? Okay. They were a people in exile. And they were very confused. They were in a place they didn't want. They didn't want to be there. And they did not know how they were going to live there. Uh, Here we are. We hadn't planned this. We have been carted off against our will. We are moderately well uh, treated, but we don't have freedom to go home. How are we going to live here? That was the question that was naturally arising within their minds and in their discussions, the one with the other. And there were two answers two answers to that question and here we need to go back and just have a refer to uh, a couple of earlier chapters there was the answer of a, a prophet called Hananiah and you find his name at the in the introduction to chapter 28 and in the text there and there was the other prophet Jeremiah Hananiah and Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a real Jeremiah. His prophecy was one of doom and destruction. If you go way back to chapter 26, well, what happened? He tells the people of God's coming judgment, and they nearly lynched him. They would have actually stoned, not lynched, but you know what I mean. He nearly paid for his uh, provocative, strong condemnation of their way of living. He nearly paid for it with his life. But <clears throat> being a prophet in those days, the, the prophets not only spoke, but they, 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 they would have been super for children's addresses. Because they kept producing uh, visual aids. And they didn't just use them when they were speaking. They wore them all the time. Reminding the people every time they saw them of the message. And the message on this occasion, and you see it in chapter 27 and verse 2. The Lord said to me, that's to Jeremiah, make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put them on your neck. So he got into a a donkey or some kind of harness, you know, equipping the animal to pull and be a beast of of burden. And he wore this around town. He was visually uh, proclaiming the word of the Lord, a word of judgment. Chapter 28, you come to the other uh, prophet, Hananiah. And what does Hananiah say in verse 2? This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from the place and took to, took to uh, Babylon. I will also bring back uh, the kings and the other exiles. So, he is, his message was, listen don't be downcast. The Lord is going to break the yoke that you feel in Babylon serving a king you don't want to serve. It's only going to last for 24 months. You can stick it, and then you're all coming back, including the most precious things, the temple articles that were taken off when the temple was defiled. And then what did he do? He went to Jeremiah and he took his yoke and, well, I don't know if he broke it over his leg, probably not, but he broke it and said, that's how the Lord is going to break the yoke. He threw it away. Jeremiah got up and left and then a bit later he came back and he said, Hananiah, within a year, you're going to be dead for disobeying the Lord and giving a false message. And the text tells us that eight months later, Hananiah died. Okay, one message, how are we to live here from Hananiah was, well, we'll just uh, not bother unpacking what we were allowed to bring with us because soon we're going home. Jeremiah's message was totally different. It was, you're in here for the long haul. Chapter 29 and verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. After two years, Uh uh-uh. After 70 years, that's a couple of generations ahead. It's going to take that amount of time. So their question then became, well, how are we to live for a few generations? Seventy years. They didn't live as long as we do now. How are we to live? It's a very foreign land. They were not allowed to come home, and they were in exile. Now, the Scriptures tell us that we are spiritual exiles. We are spiritual exiles. In my teenage years, I used to sing lustily with some of my brethren friends. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Some of you are of my generation. And we could, sometime I must come up and give them some of those. It's good stuff, I'm telling you. And Peter writes in his first letter, to the strangers who are scattered. And I looked at several of the other uh, English translations. Uh, One says strangers, another says exiles, another says refugees, another says aliens. All different English words highlighting that he was writing to people who didn't belong there. And Paul writing to the... Philippians says, our citizenship isn't here. Where, Where is our citizenship? In heaven. So we are exiles. And the question is, how are we to live? And I think now we are feeling more and more. Even good old Ulster nor an iron, isn't the way it used to be. Isn't the way it used to be. It's becoming a foreign country to conservative Christians. The clamor arising from the, uh, whatever they did, to article eight down in the Republic to do with abortion, The demand, strong, virulent, that there be same-sex marriage. The total confusion over transgender issues, where not only can you change your gender by choice, but you can change your gender on Monday and go back on Tuesday. And all the problems that that's raising. This isn't the country it used to be. And we're want, wanting to think: Is this isn't our home? How are we to live? Okay. So we we see now uh, in verse five God's program: How were they to live? Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Lord, how are we to live in a foreign land? Well, Get on with everyday living insofar as you are able. It's fine to be interested in homes, although as Frank very helpfully and powerfully reminded us this morning, they aren't the be-all and end-all. But houses, and we'll need food, and it's natural to have families. So, carry on. Carry on. Produce. And then he continues in verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. This is a foreign land. But as a Christian, what you should be doing is seeking its peace and its prosperity. And in verse 8, he brings up another difficult thing, and pray for it. Pray for it. During a troubles, ministers had to be careful for whom you prayed. Why? Well, There was so much hurt, so much pain and suffering, so many legitimate emotions that were welling up in the hearts and minds of our congregation that you didn't want to add to their pain by praying for the other side. And you had to be very careful, very careful. But Jesus tells us that we are to pray for our enemies. There's no getting around us. And to to forgive the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's hard. That's hard, but it's not an optional extra. And here he's saying, pray for Nebuchadnezzar. Pray for the Babylonian authorities. Pray for the people who have dropped us into this this place where we don't want to be. And today... We face a lot of abuse from people who think we're dinosaurs, who think we sh- our views are totally up the chute, and it can get very lively. What we mustn't do is respond to them in kind. Pray. For the city. Pray for it. And thank you, by the way, for the intercessions we had, Rachel. I was thrilled when you came forward, I must say. Your expertise is in other areas. Now, you came with a good partner, but thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. It it moved me. So, so, uh, God's program, God's plan, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 20 years are completed from Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise. God's plan. It had been to carry into exile, but now it was that they might prosper and not be harmed. God Is in control. And we've got to hold on to that. We've got to hold on to that. I I had a a, a quick flick through the Presbyterian Herald uh, this afternoon, and it notes that now in a generation, the number of Presbyterians in the city of Belfast has diminished by 50%. There's the flight to the suburbs and then there's just people dropping out. And as someone who's spent his life uh, serving the Lord through the Presbyterian church, although as I say, uh, uh, other denominations are also available, you know, Uh, But as someone who has done that, it's easy to be depressed, but God is in control. This is the message. God's promise, lastly, is verse 11b, to give us a future and a hope. Now, I wondered, well, what was the misuse of this uh, verse that I was supposed to correct? And uh, Frank very kindly supplied me with uh, another writer who, who starts off by saying this verse as a young, as a young Christian had been his favorite verse. And th- this writer writes, because of this verse and this promise, a future and a hope, prosperity that you may prosper and not be harmed. And he writes this, I envisioned a great job after college, a comfortable lifestyle, good health, a future defined on my terms. I had no problems manipulating the text to suit my own preconceived notions of blessing, while at the same time giving God my timetable for these things to be realized. And we can't do that. We can't do that. God's blessing to these people came through suffering. And God's blessing sometimes to us comes through suffering. Suffering causes us to refocus, to recalibrate. Can I say reboot? I'm not quite sure what that means, but does that metaphor fit? Yes? More or less. Okay, it'll do. Yeah. We don't, we all have our plans. Lord, we have our plans. Here they are, bless them. It doesn't work like that. Life doesn't turn out the way we expect. But God blesses us in ways that we don't expect. And that is the message. And our response, verse 12, and we're, we're getting towards the end. The Lord says, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And what a difference it is to bury a believer from burying a unbeliever. Because we can gloriously proclaim the future and the hope of those who in Christ go to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. I'd shouted only I wouldn't have voice to finish this sermon. But we have a response to give you all that. And then verse 12, then you will call upon me, And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is a message that, from a slightly different angle, arrives at where we were this morning about the cost. Seeking the Lord with all our heart. And that's a challenge, I would say, to everybody here. Every one of you. Every one of us. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Some perhaps are not really seeking him, at least. Not seeking to serve him. And you need to get that right and trust the Savior. And some of them have been serving Him for donkeys. And we still need to seek Him with all our heart. That's the message for tonight. Uh, uh, Helen and I, I. I was allowed to take a single woman out for breakfast a few days ago, and uh, we met some friends of hers whom I'd never met before, and Helen and the the wife of the couple uh, got chatting, and the other, the, the husband, he sat down beside me, and of all things, he started to speak about Brexit. Now, anyway, he said to me, he said to me, you know, I don't think Brexit's going to give any difficulty about the border, right? And my response was, I hope you are right, but I fear you are wrong. Now, here was two men who didn't know what they were talking about, either of (laughs) us. okay? And we were just giving how we felt. I, I, I haven't met anybody who knows what's going to happen. That's something we need to pray about, mind you. But th- th- that's where we are. We, we don't know what the future holds. And I'm going to end with another oldies like me uh, chorus. Somebody uh, had to find it for me because I can't work the internet. But it goes like this. I do not know what lies ahead. The way I cannot see. Ring bells? I do not know. Okay. But one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. Oh, you're not old enough for this, B. Uh, uh, but, and this is, this is what I want to finish with. I know who holds a future. And he'll guide me with his hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So, as I face tomorrow with its problems great and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. We don't know the future. We don't know what the future holds but we know who holds the future. He's in control. We've got to get on with living for the good of the community, which will bring good to us, as the text said, which I didn't highlight. And we have to seek him with all our hearts. That's what I have to do, and so do you. A doxology that's praise to god and then a benediction a blessing to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only god our savior be glory majesty power and authority Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. And of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.